This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Many say an electric future is inevitable, but an important new study from J.D. Power shows that a big majority of Americans are still very skeptical about an EV for their households. We'll give you a deep dive on that study's findings coming up. And is your vehicle a prime target for catalytic converter thieves? That crime is up astronomically this year, and we'll have the details for you. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. California save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars and the car industry, stuff we love. Your family has a a lot of uh, summer vacation plans. What are some of those? We are gearing up for a late June trip to Disney. Uh, We are flying, not driving, from Maine. Uh, However, that's going to be, I think, a a huge deal. I've never actually been to Disney World in in Florida. Uh, Having grown up in Tennessee, I've been to Florida many times, but never been to the most magical place on earth. Jack, have you been to the Florida location? I have, actually. I live fairly close to Disneyland, the original Disneyland that was, uh, I think, started around in the mid-50s sometime. But I have spent some time at Disney World as well. Uh, Fairly recently with my family, it was a a glorious time. We had a great time. Oddly, it was about 35 degrees the entire time we were there. An an oddball cold snap in the winter. Uh, But we had a great time anyway. That's great. I think we're going to see about 100 degrees, but <laughs> we'll have to wait to see. Yeah, you never know. Uh, so what is your vehicle for this week? I, you're going to be reviewing an interesting vehicle, I imagine. Yeah, so I spent the week with the 2022 Chevrolet Bolt EV uh, here in Maine, and we talk a lot about chargers, so I'm excited to talk about the car. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about the Bolt EV. I was driving one uh, over the last couple of weeks, too, so uh, I have my own opinions on that. I was driving what is, I think, a breath of fresh air, given all the uh, SUVs that we drive and the electrics that we drive, and that is the 2022 Volvo V90 Cross Country. It's, of course, a vehicle that combines the attributes of an SUV with those of a station wagon. Yes, a station wagon. We'll also have a terrific interview for you. Our special guest is Derek Tai. He is Kia Manager of Product and Pricing Strategy, and he's an expert on the all-new 2023 Kia Sportage, so we'll talk with him about that. Stay with us right here on America on the Road. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack B. Red with you. It is news time, and I think we have uh, some really interesting news for you. Uh, We talk a lot now about electric vehicles, certainly. (laughs) Maybe ad nauseum, uh, hopefully not, because it's certainly a topic of conversation. But uh, there is a new study from J.D. Power that finds that, though a lot of people talk about an electric vehicle future, maybe not so much, uh, at least for... uh, vehicle buyers who are in the market now and what they're considering buying. And I I would think you can kind of look at this information both ways. So uh, Chris and I will kick this around a little bit. And this is from the uh, 2022 U.S. Electric Vehicle Consideration Study from J.D. Power. So the percentage of shoppers who say they are very likely to consider an EV for their next purchase or lease 
is 24%. That's four percentage points higher than a year ago. That seems very positive for EVs, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, especially considering, you know, the, the number of EVs are exploding. So uh, people have more options. It's, it's good to see that there there might be a correlation there. I'm not going to say that, that the one causes the other, but uh, it's interesting to watch that climb, the, uh, the interest level climb. Well, and I think that's a double-edged sword too, Chris, because one would think that with all this added publicity about all these new models being introduced to the marketplace and advertised and all that, maybe consideration would climb more than four percentage points. Uh, it, because the other way to look at this, of course, is if 24% are very likely to consider an EV, that means that, and uh, J.D. Power acknowledges this, 76% of new vehicle shoppers are not very likely to consider buying one. And with the explosion of talk about EVs, including here on America on the Road, you would think maybe, maybe some, some more people would be... Uh, Considering an EV, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, I was trying to take a, a glasses half full approach to that, Jack, instead of the uh, the glasses half empty. But you know, I definitely I buy that. But at the same time, I think that uh, if you look at the overall market share of EVs, what is it still still around one percent, something like that? I'm not sure the exact number. Actually, but, it's uh, it's trending up toward about five percent now. Oh wow, nationally, okay, so, so that's pretty good. Yeah. It had been around two percent for most of uh, the previous decade. So 5% is certainly more than double. But at the yeah, same time, 5% is not, you know, taking over the marketplace, is it? It's not. But, you know, I try to I try to look at the increase in, in interest as something that, that could lead to that. However, saying that you're likely to consider an EV and then actually buying one uh, are two different things. So I'm 100% in agreement with that. It's very easy to say Oh, I'm very likely. I mean, like, who wouldn't say that? <laughs> uh, apparently, 76% of people wouldn't say that because they're maybe being more honest than I would be. Uh, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I'd consider. And you would consider. You might consider and immediately say, well, no, I can't do that. It's too expensive. I can't charge it. All of those things that stand in the way of EVs. But uh, I don't think this is necessarily all that positive for EVs. Uh, again, there are two ways to read it. Here, here's something that I found interesting, too. Consideration for uh, electric vehicles is much higher among people who own their own home than people who don't. Uh, those people who say they're very likely to consider an EV, 27% of them who own their own home say they're very likely. Those who rent, uh, the percentage is only 17%. And I think that indicates that uh, maybe people are getting more educated about this. If you rent, you're going to have a lot harder time charging the vehicle, right? Yeah, and that's, you know, we've talked about this a lot. If you have a house with a charger, PHEV, EVs might make sense for you. If you live in an apartment, uh, you may be out of luck or you're going to be fighting, you know, 10 other people for that one charger if there is one. Uh, but at the same time, Jack, if you look at, you know, the evidence, uh, the anecdotal evidence, at least, and there are, there is real data around this. People, young people, are having trouble buying houses. So, <laughs> I don't know what that's going to say for what that's going to do for for EV sales. If no, if people are having trouble buying houses and don't want to buy an EV if they don't own a house. So, uh, I'm really I'm not looking forward to the result, but I'm looking forward to to studying it when it when the the numbers come out. Yeah, well, you point out something else too, and that is that EV buyers are m much more affluent than the typical car buyer, right? I mean, luxury buyers are much more likely to consider buying an electric vehicle than are uh, mass market uh, buyers. That's also in the study. Uh, I think I have the uh, 
the information here about that. 37% of premium vehicle owners, so luxury vehicle owners, who are very likely to consider an EV versus just 21% among those who own mass market vehicles. So that's just another indicator that you have to be fairly affluent to buy an EV. Uh, I mean, that indicates some education by the car buyers. They're realizing that EVs are expensive. But to get mass adoption of electric vehicles, they have to appeal to mass market buyers. They have to be affordable for mass market buyers. And, and that just doesn't seem to be happening all that much. And I, you know, I don't mean to be half empty about this. I, you know, I like EVs. Uh, I think they're terrific. There's another uh, statistic here that I found pretty interesting. And that is among people who own EVs, what percentage would consider an EV for their next purchase? And that number is 48%, which I guess that's about half, but it's only about half. You know, what's your take on that? Well, I think if you looked at it, so look at it this way. If you were talking about an automaker, let's say, you know, <laughs> only half the people who bought a Volvo are, are more likely to buy a Volvo the next time around. That's a disaster for that automaker. So uh, I don't know what, what this says for EVs, but it's certainly, you know, I'm going to have to take the glass half empty on this one. That certainly doesn't seem at all like a positive sign. Uh, 52% of people who bought an EV are are maybe having second thoughts about it. So hopefully that, that shifts. I, I found that really interesting. A really interesting study from J.D. Power, their electric vehicle consideration study. Well, we also should talk about uh, catalytic converters. That kind of theft is running rampant uh, around my neighborhood and where I live. And I live in a fairly well-to-do neighborhood. They let me in on the past, you know, decades ago. Uh, but it's it's gone crazy. The number of catalytic converter thefts has increased more than 1,000% from 2019 to 2021. There's some 52,000 of them last year. I mean, that's a staggering increase in a staggering amount of vehicles that are having their catalytic converters taken from them. Uh, is that running rampant in the Northeast, Chris? You know, I think it is uh, down near Boston, but here in Maine, we haven't heard much about it. That's not to say that it isn't happening here, but you look at the cost of the raw materials, it's not surprising to think that, you know, people are going to try to hack the thing off and sell it for, for cost. My question is, you know, who's buying these things and, and why aren't they asking more questions about it, first of all? So, uh, you know, there are a lot of other solutions that, that have to do with, you know, marking things on the catalytic converter and, and, and linking it back to the car, but uh, not so much going on here. Yeah. Well, one of the things about a catalytic converter is you can't pass smog t tests in many states without one. Uh, and because real parts or, par you know, parts legitimately uh, obtained are harder and harder to find, I can see there could be a black market in catalytic converters. Let me read off to you. Carfax has compiled a nationwide list of the top targets uh, for this kind of theft. So let me go through some of those. The Ford F F-Series pickup trucks, of course, is number one. There's many of them out there, uh, and they date back to the 1980s. Honda Accord. Of course, there's tons of Honda Accords out there, and they're having their catalytic converters taken. Here's a, a one that isn't so obvious. It is the Jeep Patriot. I wonder why the Jeep Patriot is on there. There aren't that many of them out there. Uh, Chevrolet uh, Equinox or Equinox is on the list. The Chevrolet Silverado pickup trucks. Ford Econoline vans are out there. And here's one, a blast from the past. The Chrysler 200. 
that is a vehicle that I had largely forgotten about, <laughs> right? What's, what's your take on this list? Pretty uh, esoteric list, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a <laughs> – I don't know what to say about that. In terms of why those vehicles are on there, I did some reading a while back, and some of these have uh, two catalytic converters. Uh, there were some that, you know, the Toyotas were popular for for that reason. They had two catalytic converters. And then the pickup trucks are, are popular because they're easy uh, to climb under. So, you know, you can slide right under there and get your saws all out and <laughs> hack it right off and be on your way. The Jeep uh, – you say the Jeep Patriot. Uh, I had largely forgotten about that vehicle in addition to the Chrysler 200. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you know a lot about this. Uh, it's not your second career, I hope. Uh, I don't believe it is. <laughs> No, no, I'm in bed at a reasonable hour these days. Yeah, very good. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing two very interesting vehicles, including the uh, Chevrolet Bolt EV, their electric vehicle. And uh, I was driving the Volvo V90 cross-country. So we'll talk about both of those when we come back. Stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jackie Red with you. It's road test time. And we have a, an interesting pair of vehicles uh, to talk with you about this week. And uh, not the norm, I think. We have an electric vehicle. That seems to be uh, required these days to talk about an EV. Uh, but I also have a vehicle that might be termed a station wagon. So stay with us for information about that. But uh, let's start with the EV, Chris. What were you driving this week? Yeah, Jack, I was in the 2022 Chevrolet Bolt EV, and I have to tell you, it's always interesting, and I always love testing EVs because where I live in Maine, I am about, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes north of Portland for anyone who uh, is familiar with the state, uh, but I'm also about 180, 200 miles away from the fleet company where the garage is, where the vehicles are stored, so it's very rare that they actually put in the effort to, to bring a vehicle up here, but... Uh, the Bolt gets about 259 miles of range on its uh, on a charge, so uh, they made it up here with no problem, and they charged it right before they dropped it off. In any case, uh, the 2022 Bolt is a significant overhaul from the 2021 and previous models. Uh, if you've read the news, Jack, I know you and I maybe have talked about this. Um, all the Bolts were recalled for the battery. There was a battery fire issue. They all got new batteries. Uh, so this vehicle is or has gone through some uh, turbulent times over the past few a couple of years, I guess. Uh, now it's back in production. But uh, they offer two trims for 2022. The 1LT starts at 32495 The 2LT is the model that I tested. It starts at 35695 uh, Mine had about $1,500 in options uh, and came out to about $36,600 after everything was said and done. Um, but it's got 200 horsepower, 266 pound-feet of torque that runs to the front wheels. Uh, it's actually quite zippy around town, Jack. You know, I, I know you probably do more in-town driving than I do, but it supposedly will do zero to 60 in six and a half seconds. Uh, and I think the the butt and seat feel confirms that. What do you think about this car? Yeah, it's a fun-to-drive car, very definitely. And uh, fun to drive in an urban environment. That's where I spend a lot of my driving time uh, here in Southern California. And uh, it was fun to drive and, uh, as you say, very zippy and also extremely smooth, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I was going to mention this and everybody probably thinks this, that, you know, EVs are quiet. This vehicle is particularly quiet. Uh, it's quieter than the Ford Mustang Mach-E that I drove uh, a few months back. It was quieter than the last Tesla Model 3 I was in. Uh, which is great for the price. You've got a $36,000, $37,000 EV uh, that feels almost like a luxury vehicle because it's so smooth on the takeoff and then on in the drive. Uh, that said, 
it is a little bit rougher than what you would expect from a hatchback because the battery sits so low, there's weight down there. So the sensation of going over speed bumps or over potholes in the road, it feels a little bit different. Uh, Jack, you and I talked about this with the Mach-E uh, than a traditional vehicle. So there is kind of a little bit of adjustment there. Uh, Chevy does a good job with one-pedal driving. You can adjust the regenerative braking system, so uh, the intensity changes from uh, just a little bit of braking to uh, all the way up to one-pedal driving. So when you lift off the gas, uh, the vehicle will slow itself and come almost completely to a stop uh, without needing to use uh, the brake pedal at all. Inside, there's room for five people. Jack, we always talk about how tall I am. So here it is. I'm six feet tall. Uh, behind me, my two daughters who are now in booster seats. You know, I had missed this over the course of the last several uh, shows. So I'm glad that uh, your height is back in America on the road. It, it, it's been missed. Yeah, I had to confirm just in case somebody, you know, I haven't grown or shrunk. So uh, we're, we're all the same. Here. As you age, uh, you might shrink. I think I might be an inch <laughs> shorter than I was, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Well, we'll see. My house is very old and I hit my head on the ceiling. So that, that would be uh, probably welcome here. In any case, uh, there's plenty of room for the two kids in the back. My nine-year-old and five-year-old in their booster seats have plenty of knee room and foot room. Uh, and the front seats are very deep. They're well padded. They could use a little bit more lateral support, so like hip support and bolstering around the shoulders. Uh, otherwise, very comfortable uh, interior in this car. Great visibility, too, Jack. Uh, large windows, and it's got a pretty high seating position, so uh, you can see out on everything. Uh, there's a 10.2-inch uh, HD color touchscreen that runs voice recognition. It's got Bluetooth, wireless Apple CarPlay, and Android Auto. Uh, this is the Chevrolet Infotainment 3. And, uh, Jack, we talk a lot about infotainment. I want to get your opinion on this in just a second. But I think that Chevy's system is one of the more colorful on the market, but it's also intuitive. And it's the same thing in Buicks and Cadillacs, too. But uh, it runs very smoothly. It's responsive and it's easy to use when you're driving, which I think is great for uh, reducing distraction. What do you think of Chevy's infotainment, Jack? I think though, though they don't have a catchy name for it, you know, like Uconnect or Sync, uh, I think it's a great system. Uh, it really is. Uh, maybe they could use a little more branding because it, it does the job. And as you say, very colorful. Uh, I like the size of the icons and you know, in the Bolt, uh, because the Bolt is relatively small and it has a relatively large screen, uh, the screen seems even larger to me because you're so close to it, I guess. It does, and they do a great job displaying vehicle information and all the other things that you need to run. But just to close up, Jack, uh, there's a full suite of safety equipment here, blind spot monitoring, rear cross-traffic alerts, uh, adaptive cruise control. i got to say the value here is strong at under $37,000. It's got a good range, good, good interior space. It's comfortable, and I think it's a looker, so uh, I recommend the Chevy Bolt. Absolutely worth a look. Of course, they lowered the price on the Chevy Bolt, I think largely in response to the fact that General Motors is not now offering the $7,500 tax credit that other manufacturers of battery electrics have a tendency to do or are able to do. Uh, that has gone away. But that price drop is welcome, and uh, I think it's a good value, so certainly worth looking, especially now that they've got the batteries sorted out. So that's a good thing. Agree. I was driving a vehicle uh, quite different, actually, and uh, really a breath of fresh air to me. I mean, we drive so many uh, three-row crossovers these days, and I was driving the 2022 Volvo V90 Cross Country. It's essentially a, a cross between a sedan and an SUV, but it's much more like a luxury sedan uh, than it is like an SUV. And uh, I like it a lot. I, I like the, the fact that it's pretty useful in terms of interior space. And at the same time, you feel like you're driving a luxury sedan, which there's nothing 
wrong with that at all. Uh, there's a lot to like about it. Uh, I should like the vehicle I was driving because the uh, test vehicle, as tested price, was over $60,000, almost $65,000. That includes the 1095 destination charge, but uh, just a, a beautiful vehicle uh, inside and out. I think interior design is one of Volvo's strong features. I know you're a Volvo owner. You'll probably uh, reinforce that opinion. Uh, they use real wood. They finish it in a simple, natural way, a kind of a Swedish, a Scandinavian kind of way. Uh, I think the interior of this vehicle is terrific. What do you think about Volvo interiors overall, Chris? Yeah, I agree. You know, it's like a it's like a nice uh, minimalist living room, even the way the seats are stitched together, uh, the design of the cushions, the way they're shaped. Uh, there's a lot of thought put into that and I appreciate it. You know, there are some, some areas that I don't love, but, uh, by and large, you know, the thoughtful attention to detail there is great. One of the things that strikes you immediately when you get in is this huge digital instrument display. It's a 12.3 inch, uh, across and uh, it's customizable it uh, gives you all the information you need so i like that they have changed their infotainment system fairly recently to a google-based system an android-based system it's replacing the census system of before and uh, one of the things about it I, I found amusing too and you'll probably like this in maine chris is uh, the touchscreen uses infrared technology so you can use it when you're wearing gloves that's a that's a good thing isn't it yeah, I think uh, my wife would love that. She's always complaining. Hers, uh, ours runs the old census system, and it doesn't work with her gloves on. So ah, okay. uh, that would be a that would be a big benefit. Right. Uh, the beauty of this uh, is it's Google based. So if you have an Android phone or you just use Google stuff all the time, and many of us use Google Maps, even uh, us iPhone users use Google Maps frequently. Uh, the navigation is via Google Maps. You can get apps through the Google Play Store. So a lot to like about what they've done. Uh, they've retained a lot of the stuff about the uh, previous infotainment system, but added some things as well. Uh, and it's easier to use. It also has very good voice recognition capabilities. And I'm becoming more and more a user of voice recognition and just asking the car to do stuff as opposed to trying to figure out, uh, you know, what screen and what button to press. How about you, Chris? I've come around to it. I didn't really appreciate it, uh, you know, up until maybe a year ago or so. But uh, I find myself using uh, Siri in the car a lot now uh, for you know music and for other information. It's very helpful. Let me talk a little bit about the uh, the powertrain. It has the new B6 mild hybrid powertrain. It has the two-liter uh, four-cylinder engine that is used in so many Volvos. It has a turbocharger and electrically run supercharger. And then it has an integrated starter generator that contributes 13 horsepower, powered by the 48-volt electrical system. 13 horsepower doesn't seem a lot, but when you are contributing that much horsepower and the torque almost immediately, uh, it gives the car a nice zip, and uh, I like that. So nice uh, balance between handling and boulevard ride. Uh, it has a very sophisticated suspension, and you can get an adaptive rear suspension as an optional uh, piece. They all have all-wheel drive. Uh, the system is front bias, so most of the time it's operating as a front drive vehicle, but you don't really notice that. When you uh, need all-wheel drive, it's right there for you, and you need do nothing. And of course, it's filled with Volvo safety features, I think very leading edge in terms of safety features, including uh, the somewhat redundantly named Pilot Assist Driver Assistance System, 
Uh, this is a hands-on-the-wheel system. How do you feel about those, Chris? I have my own opinions about hands-on-the-wheel systems. I think that so I, I have mixed opinions or mixed emotions or whatever you want to say about it. Uh, for me, it's a little unsettling. It feels like you're out of control, and you, you technically are, right? The car is kind of handling itself, but uh, they make me a little uncomfortable. It takes me a while to settle into them. That's not to say that they're unsafe or that they don't work right. Uh, I just like to have control of the car. Uh, Super Cruise is a little different because – you're not actually touching the wheel, uh, but with hands on the wheel, it feels a little unnerving that you know the car is moving itself around. Yeah, I agree with you. And when my hands on the wheel, I might as well be steering it. Is the way I feel about it. But uh, you know, wonderful vehicle, like I say, a breath of fresh air. And you were driving a, a really interesting vehicle as well, the the Chevy Bolt EV. I was driving the Volvo V90 Cross Country. I think both are worthy of consideration. So. Take a look. Uh, those are two excellent vehicles. And when we come back, our special guest will be Derek Tai. He is the Kia Manager of Product and Pricing Strategy. He'll be telling us all about the new 2023 Kia Sportage compact utility vehicle. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Rad with you. We're in downtown Palm Springs, California, driving a really interesting vehicle, the all-new Kia Sportage, uh, the next-generation Kia Sportage, with a great guest. Uh, Derek Tai is the Senior Product Planning Strategy Manager for Kia North America. Hi, Jack. Hi. Thank you for um, inviting me over. It's a privilege. It's so good to talk to you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, Sportage is a vehicle with a great history at Kia. You know, one of the most important, you got maybe make the case, it is the most important vehicle that Kia has had in North America. Talk a little bit about the history before we dive into the new one. So, you know, the Sportage um, first launched in January 1995. And since then, that um, we've had five generations of Sportage, um, with the fifth generation launching now. Um, as you have experienced today, we i showing you it's now bigger and bolder with more distinctive styling along with more confidence and capability that consumers have been asking for based on our uh, research. So, you know, we've done extensive research. We saw how the segment is not evolving as much as it should. So in our typical Kia fashion, we wanted to kind of shake things up a bit. Yeah, you have a tendency to do that, don't you? <laughs> I mean, you shake things up from the styling point of view and uh, also from the technology point of view. We've certainly seen that in electric cars, and the uh, new EV6 is, is going great guns, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Sportage, because I know that is dear to your heart, and I, I know you've also done a ton of consumer research to figure out what the consumers really want. I mean, tell us what you think consumers in that segment uh, are seeking and, and how you've... Uh, tweak the uh, the new Sportage to make that happen? All right, so, you know, some there are things that um, I'm still learning in terms of what we, we may say in the automotive speak means something different in the consumer speak. So <laughs> we can start Boy, with... Boy, do I know that, <laughs> yes. So, you know, we've had several um, research events um, when developing the new, the new Sportage, and it's been, you know, been five years since the start of development of our, you know, research. So we've asked our consumers, what is it that you're looking for in your uh, next SUV? So what they had indicated was that they wanted something that's larger and uh, more, more distinctive than other SUVs in the vehicle. They're just simply tired of, one, not being able to meet their needs, 
and then two is that it looks just like anything else out there and that they can't tell their vehicle from the vehicle after they parked in the parking lot so what what did we come up with is something that is bigger and bolder yeah bolder from a styling point of view and and maybe why don't you go over some of the um the exterior styling and and just the exterior features that this vehicle has that uh, make it a little bit more distinctive than ever before. So we've, um, we have this concept that we've applied on EV6. It's um, called Opsys United. So in simpler terms, it's about unifying contrasting elements to that unifies, let's say, smooth and soft surfaces along with edgy lines to create a more rugged and modern design. And so that's how Sportage became um, one of the fondest things that I've done on the Sportage it, on the design element is on the rear where we had the rear shoulders to be a bit more flared out to give it a more stable stable stance. I mean consumers also indicated that they want something more confident and capable so we gave them that you know the confidence speaks in terms of not only in design but also in the powertrain that we're, we've put in the vehicle and then as far as capable well you know when you think of SUV well you don't think of a, um, a you know a city type of SUV you think of more of a ut utilitarian type of SUV that can do more for you in the event that you need it I mean it really seems like a trend uh, when we first saw the uh, EV uh, the SUV trend in the 90s you know it was kind of all about off-road even if you never went off-road and then we've had this you know, several decades of where these have come, become basically street cars right. uh, with kind of no off-road aura about them. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing that back in this uh, edition of the Sportage, including with some uh, special models that are really heavily off-road oriented, as we saw today when we were driving. Well, so we looked at um, what is it that we're missing in the lineup and what is it that we were good at. Uh, one of the things that we were good at is, um, you know, as we had mentioned, the first generation Sportage was about off-road capability. So what, you know, lessons learned from, from the new Sorento X-Line, we've been very successful with that. And so based on that study, um, we said, why not develop something that brings us back to the roots? And so the new Sportage X-Pro has been created to inspire driving confidence, to take the road less traveled or simply keep going. And that's really built upon its off-road heritage. And now it's equipped with standard BF Goodrich all-terrain tires, which is um, a brand known in the off-road industry. I mean, uh, maybe unbeknownst to many, uh, the Kia Sportage has a great deal of heritage in off-road. Uh, you know, World Rally Championships, some pretty cool stuff. Uh, Paris-Dakar, I think, those kinds of things uh, in its past. and. And now with the X-Pro, uh, what are some of the functional features of the vehicle that, that make it more off-road oriented? Well, so some of the main things that you got to hit is um, you got to give a higher ground clearance. That's for starters. Um, the second is the tires. I mean, that anything about tires, it's just you got to have traction. So when you have both, let's say, the traction control specially tuned to work with all-terrain tires and giving you that ground clearance, um, that pretty much less slip for maximum traction, that kind of gives you a bit more off-road capability um, on or off-road. Let's dive into that a little more. I know you have dedicated all-terrain tires uh, now that you developed uh, you know, with a tire manufacturer. Tell us about that and then about how that enables you to, to tune the systems to, to work better. 
Well, so different from, so you know that we offer front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive in all our trims. But um, the typical tires, um, as you would find in most SUVs, are city tires, right? All-season tires. Yeah. Um, what we've learned in our research is that sometimes our consumers need something that they can take off payment, is what they call it. You know, when I did a Google search, 30% of roads in the U.S. is unpaved. And, you know, in our research, our consumer, you know, we asked our consumers, do you, do you go off-roading? And said, mm, I don't go off-roading. I just need to get to my final destination. So we asked, well, what does that mean? Um, what they mean is, let's say people in Texas have said, I want to be, when traffic backs up, I want to be able to follow the, the big trucks um, off the side of the road to pretty much making their own exit. And then in Pennsylvania, when we asked our consumers that same question, they said, well, I take it so that I, um, when the road ends and it's gravel, I need to take it to the trailhead or to my parents' cabin or either just to get home. Right, and they're not necessarily doing that all the time. They just want to have that capability or they will do it occasionally. Right. Uh, but it's important to have. And, and with the... Um, the tire. I mean, the tires are really important, aren't they? I yes, mean, they are. The profile of the tire is important. The profile probably helps give you added ground clearance, among other things. And then tuning it with um, the electronics, I think, is critical. So talk about that, would you? So what's important is you need to have the right tires. Um, so when we when we were first developing the X-Pro, we said we got to have the BF Gordrish because of its um, confidence that we know in the industry. The second is the tuning. So we took a good amount of time um, doing tuning in terms of you know what happens when you use all-season tires when you're on soft gravel and what happens when you use all-terrain tires on soft gravel on the same surface. And you will find that with uh, the right amount of tuning and the tuning really is based on you know when you're using the wheel sensors the 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 accelerator pedal sensor and also the the steering wheel sensor all that also comes into play and when you're using the when when you're using the the logic to kind of offset the when it starts to detect a slip then that's when your algorithm kind of kicks in and starts modulating that slip right we did some uh off-road exercises today that uh, actually proved uh you know, quite challenging. Vehicle was was terrific in them. Uh, not only did it uh, accomplish all these uh, various articulations and going up very steep grades and and those kind of things, but it did it in uh, kind of with a plum, very e easily feeling good inside. It didn't feel like you were working or the vehicle was working real hard. Tell us about what we saw today and uh, you know what this vehicle is able to do. You know, I tell you what. Um, when I, the first time I went through that trail as a passenger. I was pretty scared because of uh, the kind of angles that we were kind of going through the trail, but after, but after going through it, and you know, or after I got on the driver's seat, and seeing how what the vehicle can do, you know, we started with hill start assist. We demonstrated how we started uphill, we stopped mid at midway point, and then when we took off the brakes and pressed on the gas pedal, it held the vehicle in place until we were able to move up the hill. And then as you notice that we went at a 45 degree angle, which which pretty much the vehicle was pr plenty capable. Yeah. And then yeah. the-, the and Very daunting when you're looking at it. It looks like, oh, that's a cliff I'm going to climb yeah. here, right? And then the, the next one was uh, 
the the one that really was pretty scary was uh we we were on the top of the hill and then we had to make a hard right uh and to go down a 45 degree embankment and i gotta say seeing pictures of uh what we did i mean you can see the vehicle with its um rear wheels up in the air <laughs> as we're going down the hill right that was an amazing uh feat yeah so this is a fully capable off-roader uh, certainly in that trim and uh it'll look like one in some of the other trims but there are other flavors too right i mean it seems like you have a, a sportage now pretty much for everybody uh, that's tell right us about that so part of my background is i you know, I had mentioned to you, I had um, unique experience working for the happiest place on earth. And, you know, one thing that I learned is that it's about connecting with your emotions to create a positive experience. And, you know, after speaking to our consumers and research, you know, it dawned on me that, you know, why is it that when consumers purchase a car, they feel like they have to compromise? And so from my perspective, when I was asked, um, we have a new Sportage for you to plan. What do you think? I said, well, yeah, give it to me. Um, let's get creative. And I'll put in some, some of my magic to kind of help things, uh, you know, make it the best Sportage possible. Let's dive into powertrains. Interesting powertrains here. We, we don't have a ton of time, uh, but tell us about the powertrain offerings. So our powertrain offerings, um, so let's speak about confidence and that kind of plays a role with providing more powerful and efficient powertrains. Now currently we have two cho two powertrain choices, a 2.587 horsepower engine uh, paired with an 8-speed AT and the second is our automatic transmission. And automa sorry, 8-speed automatic <laughs> transmission. Right. And then the second one is a 1.6 turbo uh, charge engine. Um, total output is 227 horsepower which is class leading and up to 43 miles per gallon, which happens to be also class leading. So the hybrid is all about inspiring fun to drive, driving confidence, and you know having class leading powertrain, and also the addition of e-handling performance speaks um, a lot about confidence. Yeah, well you've gotta be confident about this vehicle going forward. Uh, and, and you've already had success with it. I mean, it's already on sale uh, uh, and doing quite well, and uh, so, um, our listeners can see this in Kia dealers uh, just right now, can't they, the new Sportage? Uh, yes, they can. We've actually have had the Sportage gas trims on sale for the last two months. Um, so far, so good, or I should say so far, so great. And that <laughs> it's actually has become our number one top selling, or I should say highest volume Kia um, as of this month. Well, Derek Ty, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate you being with us. Well, thank you. And I really do hope that you did enjoy um, the time you spent with us at the off-road track and also with the hybrid experience on-road. I absolutely did. And I have seen the Kia Sportage come a long way over the time I've been in this business. So it's, it was exciting to see. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine Jackie Redback. We're here for question and answer time here on America on the Road. We'd love to take your listener questions and help you out because that's why we're around. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So, uh, you know, send us those questions. And here is a question from Luke. He is in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Luke says this, Our family is looking to buy a family SUV, and there are a million choices out there. There are six in our family. Which ones would you recommend? What are your recommendations, Chris? 
Uh, I have a few. So let's see. I think on the fun to drive spectrum, I think I would head for a Mazda CX-9. I think you're going to struggle maybe a little bit with a third road, depending on how tall the person is that has to ride back there, the people that have to ride back there. Uh, but it's comfortable, it's upscale, and it's fun to drive. I think middle of the road, I would head for a Hyundai Palisade or a Kia Telluride. Uh, I think those uh, good budget, they'll fit people. The third row is actually spacious enough for an adult to ride back there um, relatively comfortably. I wouldn't take a long road trip back there, but it's good enough. Uh, and then on the upper end of the scale, I think you know you could go for a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Jack, we talked about those vehicles on our last show. I think they're upscale. They're good value. Uh, and the new styling that Jeep put in uh, recently is very, very attractive, and it has great tech. So what do you think about that? I think those are all good uh, pieces of advice. I question the size of the Mazda CX-9 for a family of six. I think that third row is pretty tight. And also, it's, it's just not as roomy a vehicle as some of the others in that segment. I'd be likely to go here, and we didn't get a price bogey here, so I'm not sure what uh, the Luke's family can can afford. But uh, if they could afford a full-size SUV, a traditional SUV like the Chevy Tahoe that the Nerad family has owned for years and years and years, I think that would be great for a six-person family. It'd be tons of room. It's super comfortable, quiet. So I, that would certainly be a choice. The GMC Yukon, essentially the same vehicle. I think those are perhaps logical choices as well. It's always great to hear from you, Chris. June has uh, come upon us. Summer is here, or almost anyway, and uh, it's always great to talk to you about cars. Yeah, I'm going to have to start skipping out on work and going to the beach uh, here pretty soon. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like what you heard, please head to the SportsMap Radio website. There you can find us on the Saturday schedule. Uh, you can find our Apple podcast as well as all the other platforms we are on. We are on all of them. Uh, and then you can also find a formatted radio uh, version of our podcast as well. Absolutely true. Our thanks to the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. And most of all, thanks to you for listening to America on the road. You're the reason we do what we do. We're so glad you're out there. And we hope you join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, just care about cars, visit drivingtoday.com. Drivingtoday.com is the official automotive website of America on the road.